Welcome to She Can Too, hosted by me, Kristen Cantu. This is a podcast that shares insights and lessons from Vermont's women entrepreneurs. We speak with women about their personal journey in entrepreneurship and how it impacts every aspect of their life. In this episode, we are interviewing Arielis Ortiz, who owns Curly Girl Pops, a Latina-owned, small-batch, healthy popsicle business. Curly Girl Pops' mission is simple, healthy, and made from the heart. I first discovered Curly Girl Pops two years ago at the Montpelier Farmer's Market. My son and I fell in love with Arielis's culinary creations and never missed her colorful popsicle cart on Farmer's Market Saturdays. Hi, Arielis. Hey, Kristen. How are you? <laughs> I, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So great am, to be on your podcast. Thank you. I am really excited to have you as a guest on our podcast. Uh, and just so our listeners know, Curly Girl Pops is based in Montpelier, Vermont, and I am so excited for all of them to get to know your story a little better. So, Arielis, I've done a really brief introduction of you and your business, and I know this only touches the surface. And I, I want to start off um, with a question that hopefully gets, ho- hopefully lets our listeners get to know you a little bit better. So, my my first question for you is, yeah is how would you describe yourself to our listeners? How would I describe myself? Um, Well, I would describe myself as just an easygoing person, um, someone who likes to get to know their neighbors, um, friendly. I'm always open to new ideas and possibilities um, in the world. And yeah. That's pretty much me. Well, the more positive side of me. <laughs> I, I love that you you ended that with the more positive side. We yeah. definitely, I think we all have our, our not so great attributes, yes. but you know, we don't we don't need to air those. Yeah. <laughs> um, Arielis, what drew you to the world of popsicles? Yeah. So. Uh, What basically drew me to the world of popsicles was uh, just my curiosity for flavors of fruit. Um, I remember as a kid um, going to Puerto Rico and just discovering all kinds of tropical fruits. And um, my favorite thing to do, like from when I was like a teenager, like even through college was to make smoothies. Um, So smoothies was like an easy way to get quick nutrition. Um, And yeah, that's basically, that's basically it. So, so Arielis, I would love for you to, to tell us about Curly Girl Pops. Um, You know, it's history, the name, you know, how long it's been around. I, I I think we just want to hear all of it. (laughs) Yeah. So the history is basically, um, Again, like I've always been drawn to fruits and uh, experimenting with sweet flavors um, that are natural. Uh, So, yeah, it kind of started as a smoothie journey. Um, I don't know if it was like a fad back then. I feel like it was about smoothie making, even now. Um, But that kind of gained my curiosity um, and then going to school, studying nutrition, I kind of wanted to, I started thinking of why, why it is that there are so many, um, I don't know, problems revolving nutrition and people getting access to healthy foods and maybe why people didn't enjoy healthy foods. Um, And I just wanted to create a product Um, I knew when I was studying nutrition that I wanted to open a business of some kind, um, some, some food related business that would, um, promote nutrition in an easy way, um, for just people, people in the community. And so it kind of just started that way. Um, I was really inspired by my nutrition, um, background and, I wanted to combine that with my like weird hobby of making smoothies and then um, things just started falling into place and 
I got a book from my mom that was a popsicle popsicle recipe book. Um, and then I just wanted to try it. I thought it was cool and I wanted to see how other people would react to it. And I also noticed there wasn't a market for it in Vermont. Um, and I also noticed that it was relatively low cost for me um, to start off. Uh, so I just kind of went for it and little by little, um, I ended up saving enough money to get a push cart um, and then, you know, attending farmer's markets. And then it kind of just started growing in people, people's reaction and, you know, appreciation for a treat that was, that has health benefits um, and is made with local ingredients supporting local farmers um, and also maple syrup, which is a Vermont staple. Um, it just seemed like it all fit. And that's pretty much where I'm led up to right now, which is um, still doing the business. So Arielis, you mentioned saving up enough money for a push cart. Um, I'd like you to describe to our listeners what exactly your push cart looks like. Oh, okay. So it's basically a free, a small chest freezer um, with a metal frame and it's on wheels. So um, it also has a really fun rainbow umbrella, which is, you know, supposed to catch people's eye and also is a representation of, you know, eating the rainbow which is uh, a theme that was common in nutrition was eating colorful fruits and vegetables, which would pr provide you with the best health benefits, um, according to the professors. But um, yeah, so it's just like this super small, fun um, push cart. Um, it has our logo on the front, Curly Girl Pops. It's like pink and purple. Um, and yeah, that's where I would sell my pops from. And can you tell us about your business's name, Curly Girl Pops? Yeah, uh, Curly Girl Pops is supposed to represent the maker, who is me. Um, so I'm a curly girl and I wanted to highlight um people with curly hair um especially in vermont um there's a lot of white culture um and one of the things that i wanted to kind of showcase was me which is a latina in vermont with curly hair and i wanted to inspire other um, Latinas in Vermont with curly hair that they can create their own business of whatever they want. Um, and I just felt like it was catchy and it kind of came to me one, one day when I was just writing, uh, ideas for if I had a business, what would I name it? Um, and that kind of came out from that. Can you, can you talk to us what it's like to be a Latina owned business in Vermont? Yeah. Um, I mean, owning a business in general, I feel like is challenging, um, especially if you're a small business, especially if you don't have, um, you know, any big investors or, you know, capital to start a business from the, be from the beginning. Um, so there's that, but also like being a Latina, it's a Latina owned business, it is, it's good because I feel like, you know, after, after this whole crazy year, I just feel like more Vermonters want to know about people of color in Vermont. And I appreciate that. And yes, and that's important but also like it's still very isolating because I know that, you know, there aren't as many Latino owned businesses as white owned businesses in Vermont. And if we expanded a little more, maybe in our country, I know that it is growing, but um, most businesses, you know, having that representation of, 
someone who looks like you, who's doing something that you want to do is still like fresh to me. And I'm sure it's fresh to a lot of people of color in general. Um, and also like being recognized and being, uh, put on that, uh, having a platform. And so in, in ways it's, it's great. It's easy because you get noticed, but also it's harder because, you know, you want to make the best decisions you can, like not only for your image, because you are one of the few representing like, uh, representing the greater Latinx community. Um, So there's definitely pressure there. Um, But I mean, it's great. It just proves that, you know, anyone, any person, no matter what race you are, if you want to create something and bring it to to a market, um, it's possible. Arielis, do you think that there is more that can be done uh, to help businesses like yours, whether it's Latina owned or, you know, someone of color owning them, are there things that you wish or services that you wish were made more readily available to help people start small businesses like yours? Yeah, uh, certainly. I feel as though, um, for instance, like because of the pandemic, um, there are more grants being awarded to businesses and then also, you know, businesses of color, but it kind of takes, you know, a certain tipping point for action to happen. And I just feel like there should be more free resources for people of color and just free money that people either can donate or, you know, local like local co-ops or local credit unions have grants available to help um, people of color specifically to, you know, build wealth because that is the, that's one of the biggest um, issues right now is the disproportionality of wealth between, you know, white people and people of color, black people, brown people in this country and in the world. Um, and it's the way to help in that way and create, you know, true equality for all people is to provide those resources because again, it kind of goes, it goes back to history and it just shows, you know, the people who have less usually work more and have suffered more than the people that have what they have and they don't realize how they have it or why they have it. And it's a lot to learn. I I think people need to get educated on American history on both sides, black and white history. And um, people need to, you know, continue to be human and caring for, people who are different from you um, and try to meet in the middle and create, you know, take more responsibility and create ways to make things easier. It's also like a process too, because even, you know, while I was applying for grants, it's kind of like, I like you have to, there's so much that you have to prove. And it's like, look, like I'm a small business. Like this is how much I'm making. Like, why do I have to prove so much? So that's kind of another thing. Um, so Arielis, you, you spoke about grants being available and you uh, recently, I, I believe got two grants. One of them being the community fund grant from Hunger Mountain Co-op. So first, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Can you tell our listeners exactly what the community fund grant is and what this means for Curly Girl Pops? Right. So the community fund grant basically was for small businesses um, in Vermont who, you know, definitely experienced like some revenue loss due to the pandemic, but also it was trying to target businesses that were trying to create and instill in the community um, health and create like a dynamic community. That's what they wanted. That was their focus. Um, This business has to create like a dynamic community, which, you know, I believe is 
to create a dynamic community, like you have to include not only not only white owned businesses, but trying to find people of color owned businesses because that's what creates diversity, creates more dynamics. You know, so the more the more that you have, the more um, you can experience as far as diversity and promoting a dynamic community, I feel like they go hand in hand. Um, and then another thing was that they want, they're highlighting, um, how are we going to promote like a healthy individuals? And I don't know. I just felt like that was clearly my business because that's my mission is to make people eat fruits and vegetables, like, for fun and um it fit and you know they they also mentioned like if you have a plan like what would you use this money for um and then I have an idea which is um I am currently in the works of creating like a creation space. So it's like a mobile trailer, utility trailer that is going to be turned into like a mobile kitchen. Um, And the hopes is that that will be a way for me to increase um, my business and then also um, reaching out to other plant-based makers who need a space to create um, cause another, um, lack that I found in, you know, the small business community, specifically people that are making, uh, things for people to eat, um, that there aren't many commercial kitchens, um, and the ones that exist are, you know, an hour or more away from where I live. And then also you have to rent the space and the fees can be really expensive. So I feel like there, there are not many, there are not many opportunities for makers to like have a space that's affordable and also near where they live. Um, So I feel like that vision that I have to provide that um, the co-op really was a was into and of course I'm really into it and I that's that's my plan. I'm really excited about this idea of your creation space. Uh, so you mentioned it's a mobile trailer, a kitchen. Do you have the the trailer already or is that something you're still looking into? Yeah, um I have the trailer already. Um yeah, I acquired a trailer and so that was before I got the grant. Um and even before I've gotten the trailer, um, me and my partner often talk about um, how we always wanted like some kind of mobile food business. Um, and then it kind of just seemed like an idea at the, at the time. Um, and then it kind of like started happening um, so I don't know if I manifested it or it just kind of like wants to happen, but it just happened very quickly. Um, and then I realized, okay, I guess I really do want to do this now. So with the, with the kitchen, the commercial kitchen that you would be creating within this space, you're talking about using it for your own business and also for other makers as well. Is this something where it's stationary, it's in one's place and people come to you or do you guys eventually move around and maybe go to different farmers markets or, or events? Yeah, I mean, the idea would be both. Um, I just don't know which is going to happen first or which is going to make more sense or it's going to definitely be a trial period testing, seeing, you know, is it is it beneficial have people of the community to come like how many people um what specific businesses like um 
you know, if, is there enough space for certain businesses that want to produce like in this trailer, like, is it sustainable for them? And then kind of figuring out who it works for. Um, does it work? Does it truly work for other people? Um, and then if it does great, um, it can be used for that. And if it doesn't, you know, it's a kitchen. So, um, I would still be able to use it for my own business and using it to grow my business. And then it's on wheels. So the opportunity to go um, out into the road and, you know, either sell popsicles or sell other products um, is still an option. Have you started thinking about what other makers would be a good fit to join you in this? Or have you started reaching out to other people about this idea? Um, so I haven't necessarily reached out to other, other people. Um, but so right now I'm on my, on the off season at the popsicle business. And so right now I work part-time at the roots farm market in Middlesex. And, um, what's really great about working there is that you meet a lot of local makers because a lot of the, you know, products that are in that market are from Vermont makers of all of all uh I don't know trades or uh there's people making cheese meats like specialty items um so that is kind of where I've had conversations about it um there have been a couple of business owners who um have expressed that they that they're, um, you know, making in their home, but they wish they had a space outside um, because of COVID and, you know, exposing, having their children around um, and then trying to keep a clean space has become, uh, and a separated space has become like a, you know, a thought for a lot of people and not having access to a local kitchen, like at least in Montpelier, Middlesex area is definitely a thing. Um, I don't know of any places, maybe there are some, um, but then again, also to consider is, you know, how much are people charging? Cause I've seen some place, some commercial kitchens and it's like, $200 a day or something like that. And I don't know, that just seems like a lot. I, I don't know anything about how much these things cost, but you said $200 a day and my mouth literally went wide open. Yeah. Um, yeah. And maybe like, you know, these spaces are like for a lot of production. Um, so it's kind of like maybe there aren't, you know, middle ground or, you know, to start off really small, like it's kind of like it, it would, my idea would be more of a, you know, an incubator space, like businesses that are small, like comparable to my business, um, not, you know, stocked at every co-op in Vermont, but, you know, have five or six places um, that they sell their product. So it would definitely be targeting, you know, early small businesses um, who aren't, you know, looking to grow like super fast, super quickly. You also mentioned the challenges that some of these uh, small businesses and makers are facing when it comes to commercial kitchens, you know, especially it being a pandemic. And so I'm wondering, what has it been like for you as an entrepreneur during this year, you know, during a pandemic, have you had to shift your business model at all? Um, yes, I have. So I have, I've had to shift my location um, first because of the pandemic. So originally I was producing in my parents' home in Marshfield um, and we had like a home catering license there. Um and I love their kitchen because it was just so much more spacious than my personal kitchen now. Um, so that made sense. And it was great. Um, but then once the pandemic hit, I was kind of like, I don't know if I want to be going from back and forth from my house to their house. And then also 
my parents being there and then I have a sister and sometimes my grandmother's there. So it's seemed like too many people like in my space. Um, and, you know, considering, you know, less people in a space is better, I believe for, you know, producing during a pandemic. So the first thing was I had to switch, um, my my home catering license to my personal home in in Montpelier um and then also i was primarily um selling my popsicles at farmers markets um so i was probably doing like 3 or 4 farmers markets a week during the summer um or events and once the pandemic happened, I didn't really want to, well, I thought that no one would be at farmer's markets first because, you know, the whole idea of farmer's markets is to socialize and to meet people and to take your time and listen to music and eat food. And it just felt like that wasn't a thing anymore. So my, my direction like needed to change. Um, And so then I was like, oh, maybe I could sell online or like have people buy online and I can deliver. Um, That was like the pretty much what came before the thought of wholesaling, honestly. I don't know why that was, but um, that was a thing. And I started making deliveries and, you know, people started catching on and then it started getting unsustainable. And then luckily there are some local businesses, um, Little Taco Gordo, uh, Hunger Mountain Co-op, The Roots Market where I work at seasonally, um, Plainfield Co-op, and then also a food distributor, uh, Food Connects. Um, I made some connections with them and then I was selling my products through through them and I didn't really need to continue making deliveries. Um, and that was also more sustainable for me. So that's pretty much what happened this summer and how I had to pivot. And it was honestly seemed like for the better because it, I really enjoy doing wholesale and it's more profitable and you're not driving all over the place, like to people's houses. Um, it's just like a drop-off location and then you drop off a bunch of popsicles and people just pick them up there, buy them there. Um, so that was awesome for me this summer. Do you, Arielis, do you see yourself going back to doing farmer's markets again when it you may feel in a better position to do so? Or do you think you'll just stick to wholesale from now on? You know, I honestly don't know. I, I would love to return to farmer's markets because, um, I don't know. I just have an, have an affinity for that scene and just, you know, getting to know your local people, your local makers, um, having, you know, repeat customers coming like specifically to see you and like, create relationships like that's really important to me um but at the same time if you know if I find it to be unsustainable and also just not possible due to the pandemic and just the way the business is going and the direction that it's going into um then I won't but who knows I I really I really don't know I would love to but Right now, I I don't think I can return to all the farmers markets that I once um, vended at. Maybe one or two, but yeah, I don't think so. Not right now, at least. And how long has your business been around for? It's been around since twenty sixteen. Wow. Yeah. Four, four years. Uh huh. <laughs> and so, Arielis, I mean, growing up, did you ever? picture yourself being an entrepreneur? In a sense, yes, because um, I don't know. I just always had like my own ideas about things and I always notice, um, 
even in, I noticed when I was going through school, like I just didn't really like structure was good for me, but also it like made me really stressed out. Like I always felt really confined to it. Um, so I knew that I, I, I was always in search of like some kind of like freedom of like choice and what I, I always knew that was something that I wanted. So being an entrepreneur makes that possible because of the flexibility and because of, you know, making your ideas reality and then, you know, tweaking them along the way and seeing what works for people and what doesn't. And I don't know, I just feel like being an entrepreneur is a great lesson. And, you know, if you have the willpower to do it, you should. And I just felt inclined to pursue that. What do you think the hardest part is about being an entrepreneur? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I just feel like the hardest thing is criticism and, um, yeah, just what other people think, like not, not letting other people's like opinions about your business or like what you should be doing or um, like other people's visions of your vision, like not letting that get in the way of like your vision, because I don't know, I feel like people are, people want to help, but sometimes like what they have to say, like, doesn't really help you. Can you give an example of that? I mean, you don't have to out anyone, <laughs> but I mean, was there, you know, a, something that someone maybe said to you that was just, you just had to sort of take it, <laughs> absorb it, and then like put it back out into the universe because it wasn't for you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the one that sticks out, it was just, uh, I have a close, close, uh, close person that when I was starting out curly girl told me that you know I need more experience I need to get a full-time job instead of pursuing like what I wanted to pursue which was um having a seasonal business and then working part-time and that's what I wanted to do and you know, other people, th- that person that was that's close to me, they, when they say that, it it comes from a place where they, you know, they want the best for you, like having a full time job with benefits and all all these things like are great and they help, they help, but also like if that doesn't align with like who I am as a person, then I I should find another way and that you know, in fact, there probably are other ways. There there has to be. It's not just one way. But it just kind of seems like when peop- certain people, like, they are coming from a place where they help you, but it's really just they don't want to see you fail. So they tell you to do something that is, I don't know, more common or, you know, what makes sense to them and that really affected me because I certainly did question like, oh, wait, like, should I just get a nutrition job? But then I don't know, like, I didn't want to do that. And so then I just eventually was able to learn that, you know, this person was looking out for me, but also like I have the choice to respond appropriately. Like I have the choice to acknowledge it and also not do it. Well, it sounds like Curly Girl Pops has been a great fit for you. (laughs) What would you say is the best part about running your business? Yeah, I would say the best part, well, pre-COVID, the best part about running my business was like being in front of my stand and enjoying the weather and the ambiance of Farmer's Market. And then also just like meeting customers like interacting with just the people around me and 
the kids were like the cutest part because I don't know, you can see their joy so much easier than like an older person. And um, I really value that. Um, I really love that a lot. And, but after COVID, I would say, you know, the best part is being connected to so many amazing creators in Vermont because Vermont has so much to offer and there's so many people doing really cool um, things, things that they want to do. Um, not, you know, we're not making millions of dollars, but is that really the goal? Like, is that really sustainable also for everyone to like have this idea about, you know, everyone needs to, what is everyone's definite, the definition of success is your own definition. And I found, you know, a lot of small business, business owners in Vermont, like, you know, they're not all rich and that's fine, but they're doing what they love and that's what's more important. So I really, I really have come to appreciate and I don't know, treasure all the really awesome products Vermont has to offer. And being a small business owner has given me the opportunity to talk to these people and see them for who they are. Is there anything that you know now about entrepreneurship that you wish you knew when you first started? Yeah, I mean, I just wish that I didn't have as much hesitation, like making making decisions about, oh, should I, you know, getting more, like getting a freezer, like a commercial freezer. I remember, you know, that's a small decision, but also being a young entrepreneur, you're like, oh, is this the right decision? Is this too much? Like, should I save it? Um, And I just felt like there was a lot of hesitation, which is normal. But at the same time, um, just going with what you have and using the resource, using what you have around you to your benefit than just like questioning and being, you know, fearful of doing something wrong because you're too, you're so young and you're so unexperienced, like what, what everyone is saying around you. Are there any big mistakes that you've made along the way? Um, I would say like, I mean, the worst mistake I feel like that I've made was when I was making this it was a pretty large batch. It was, it was a flavor that I never got to release um, because I was trying out like doing layered popsicles and um, I probably made like over a hundred of them. And it was this past season when, you know, I moved that my kid, my operation to my, my home in Montpelier and I was having a, basically what happened was I didn't really test out my outlets and, you know, there are certain outlets in my house that are like kind of finicky. Um, and so I used one of the outlets and I like didn't really like check the freezer. And so what happened was that the freezer was not um, powered. Um so all the popsicles that I had like wrapped and like it took like hours to wrap because hand wrapping takes a long time. Um, and, you know, that was the stage that I'm at. Like I didn't have like any fancy packaging or anything like that. Um, and I was like trying to avoid plastic. So the thing that takes longer is like what was better. Well, that's what I thought. Um and so what ended up happening was a hundred plus popsicles melted. And then I was like, what the heck? Um, and I was really upset and I was like, fuck, like, you know, swearing and like, cause you know, that's, you lose, that's like, I don't know, a couple hundred dollars of popsicle, melted popsicle juice. Well, right. It's not just all the money, though. It's also all that time you put into it. I can imagine mm-hmm. that you were just <laughs> furious. Or yeah, <laughs> it's definitely it was definitely infuriating because it's like, how could something that I thought was so simple like go so wrong? And um, that felt like a big, you know, mistake because you know I didn't mean for it to happen, but that I don't know some. Un- 
uh, some unpredictable thing just happened and then you have to deal with it. Um, but other than that, like I haven't, I haven't had like, honestly, bad things happen. Knock on wood. Like, I don't, I don't know why that is, but I think a big reason is because like, I'm not in a rush to grow. Like I really am enjoying the process of having a small business and doing as much that I can and as much that I can handle. And yeah, I just feel like oftentimes, like if you grow, if you, if you're growing too quickly, like, you know, maybe, maybe there's going to be more conflict or maybe you're going to, there's something that's going to come up that's going to be unexpected. Um, so that's kind of my way of combating that is just like growing with the process and it seems to be good. You talk about taking it slow and really enjoying this process, but I wonder, did you ever hit a point or have a moment where you just thought entrepreneurship wasn't worth it, that you just wanted to quit? Not, not really. Like, no, I just, I, cause I really feel like entrepreneurship is like, the only thing for me, honestly. And I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a Latina and I feel like that sense of empowerment and also just like creating my own opportunities is more important. Um, and I know I, I, I feel like I don't want to quit. Like I, there, there are definitely times where I feel like, you know, it's a, it's a slow process for me and in part because I want it to be slow but also like there are times where I'm like you know I should be I it's a time where you question yourself and you're just like oh I should be at this point right now and I'm not like why am I not there um and then that's where I'm like oh like if I made this much money I could do this or you know right so We've t- you've talked a bit about some of the challenges that you've yeah. faced, you know, in running your own business. And I was wondering if you could tell us about your support system. I mean, who do you turn to when you're not really sure what to do or even when you just need to vent, like say with the, the freezer mishap? <laughs> yeah. Um, honestly, that's like another thing for me is like that circle is really small. Um <laughs> Uh, my grandparents had a food truck um, and I have like an aunt who like sells stuff from Avon, but like there are no real entrepreneurs like in my family. Um, most have you like going to what the person said that I really loved about getting a full-time job. A lot of people in my family like have found it to be easier due to their own circumstances and their own responsibilities. But I'm just in a unique position where I choose to be an entrepreneur. And also because of that reason, because of my age, because I'm young, like most of my friends um, aren't entrepreneurs. I have one friend that's an entrepreneur And all my other friends either have, you know, jobs after college or I don't know what. Yeah, that's pretty much it is they all just have jobs. Um, So that is definitely hard because there aren't many people I can turn to. Um, I would say it's just some other uh, other business, small business owners in Vermont that I trust I'll talk to. Um, And I have a family friend who's a financial advisor, um, but that's about it. Like, I really don't, I really don't have like a super awesome team or like business support system. Um, And then that kind of goes back to your question your question about like what can Vermont be doing to help like people of color own businesses or small businesses is, you know, creating more support for, I don't know, like how to do your taxes or like how to like do a balance sheet or, um, 
how to do inventory or like what are the best like point of sale systems or like things that honestly thanks to technology you can find answers to on the internet but it's also nice to like have other people with that experience and that knowledge to tell you also and like give you that like physical support what would your advice be to other women looking to start their own business I would say um, just trying to, I think what's important before you start a business is to like hone in on like what you want to offer um, and why, because that, I feel like that is the, that is what drives you to continue like if you have an idea, that's great, but like you have to know why and like why it's important to you, like the meaning behind it um, and not just doing it, um, not doing it wholeheartedly. Um, I think identifying that and trying to, I feel like starting there is the best point is just know knowing what your skill what your skills are whether that's like writing it down or like meditating and like trying to figure out like what it is you want to bring to the world then it will be easier to start a business that way because then you have confidence in what your mission is because every business has a mission but like the mission should also identify with like your life mission or like it should go together because it is going to be like, it's like a, it is part of your life and it's part of your life responsibility is to like keep growing your business and like take caring, take, taking care of your business. It's like a, it's not like it's like a baby, but it, in a sense, you have to nurture it and know what's right for it. And the only way to do that is to like know what it is that you need to do inside for yourself. Okay, Arielis, I know that this next question is going to be a tough one, but <laughs> if you had to pick a favorite popsicle flavor of yours, what would it be? It would be... It would be the Radical Raz drizzled with dark chocolate. I love that answer because that is my son's favorite flavor. <laughs> I mean, it would actually be any of your berry flavored popsicles drizzled in chocolate. I think anything drizzled in chocolate is a favorite of his, but um, <laughs> I... Yeah, those were those were amazing. I love those. I personally really loved um, your mango popsicles um, and the Hulk. <laughs> I liked that one a lot too. Um, I'm wondering, Ariel, it's like on sort of the opposite side of this question. Have you ever had any flavors that you've created and you just thought, "Ugh, no, <laughs> I can't put this out into the world." <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... I was actually trying one. It was like a blueberry and it was like Tulsi. So I made this Tulsi syrup um, infusion with maple syrup, Tulsi. And it's like a, what? It's like a, like holy basil. I think that's the other okay, name for it. I was going it. to ask. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a type of basil, but the smell is like, um, very strong. And so I infused that and then I was going to like do like a creamy blueberry Tulsi. Um, I just thought those flavors would be so good together. And I tried them and it like, I don't know, they like repelled, like the blueberry was not a good fruit for the Tulsi. Um, I don't know why it didn't work, but it didn't work. And um, so I have a bunch of those in my freezer <laughs> that I don't know, maybe I'll eat someday, maybe not. But that definitely happens and has happened a couple of times um, with flavors that I thought would be good together. But when I actually tasted them, I did not mm -hmm. like them. 
Um, <laughs> I love I love to hear about failures as well. Um, I also I also think it's really interesting that you still have them, even though <laughs> you didn't you didn't love them. You're like, well, maybe one day I'll go into the freezer and I'll change my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I don't know. Sometimes when I another reason why I didn't like it is because I haven't had much experience with Tulsi. Um, so I kind of thought, you know, my taste buds like aren't like used to this taste. So maybe if I save them, like I can like work up, work up the taste buds to it. And I noticed also like that happens with my customers when when I have customers that like have never tried like passion fruit or like, um, uh, I don't know, like some people don't like kiwi and then it's like, you don't like kiwi and (laughs) it's just people's taste buds, like either have never had it or aren't used to it or like maybe they've had like a sensitivity to it. So it's kind of this game that you have to play of like, oh, which flavors are the best for everyone's taste buds. Mm-hmm. Arielis, can you tell our listeners how they can find you online? Yeah, um, the best way would to be follow me on Instagram, um, Curly Girl Pops. Uh, and then I have a website too, um, which you can learn about my story, um, and flavors that we have had. Um, but as far as like buying popsicles, um, right now we're in the off season. So you'll have to wait till like spring when winter's gone. Great. And I will uh, list Arielis's uh, website for Curly Girl Pops and her Instagram handle in the show notes. I'll also list all of the places that she mentioned in the show um, where in the on season you can find her popsicles. Arielis, thank you so much for chatting with us today. This is this has been a lot of fun. Oh, thank you so much, Kristen. Thanks for having me. Um, what a great experience. <laughs> this is, yeah, this has been so much fun. And like you said, a great experience. And I cannot wait to see what lies ahead for you, your mobile creation station, what new popsicle flavors you may have. (laughs) I just, I look, I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. (laughs) Thank you so much. I appreciate, I appreciate the relationship this far. Me too. Me too. Okay. Well, bye. (laughs) Thanks, Kristen. All right. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. She Can Too is a production of Well Told Films based in Montpelier, Vermont. If you're interested in advertising during a future episode or know a woman entrepreneur we should speak to, email podcasts at welltoldfilms.com. Our original cover art is by Alyssa Ruggieri, and you can find more of her work at alr-designs.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please share with a friend, subscribe on Apple Podcasts for free, and rate and review our show. Your support is crucial to our success. Until next time, bye.